last Sunday, shared with you that here at FOF, fundamentally, what we want to do, what, what we view this all about, what, what, what we occupy our time with, is that we want you to know God. We want you to know him more and deeper and better. There's a God of this world, a God of this universe, who is involved in so many things and has done more for us than we can possibly imagine. And he invites us to know him. And he invites us to know him as friends. That we can come to the supreme being of this universe, dare I say, almost as equals. Not where he's lording it over us, not where we come in obesis and submission, though these are proper responses. But he says, no, no, I don't call you servants. I call you friends. And that God invites us to know him that way and to, to grow in a relationship with him that way, which means understanding who God is is just so vital because how do you have a relationship with someone when you've casted a false image of who they are as opposed to hap- who they actually happen to be? And so literally for the first 500 years of the time after Jesus, those who followed him devoted themselves to the quest of trying to understand God more, to, to figure him out if, if you can even talk that kind of way, but to make sure that what they were saying about him and understanding about him and perceiving about him through, through Christ and through the Bible was true to who this God that invites us into relationship with him is. And, and one of the things that they spent so much time on in that quest was this elusive, pervasive figure you'll find through the Bible from the beginning of Genesis to the end of Revelation called the Spirit of God, or who's often called the Holy Spirit. So much more than a force, so much more than just like a law of nature, a a being with personality, an aspect of the nature of who God is, who moves and breathes and works and permeates God's creation, trying to draw us back. He seeks to be a part of our life. And God invites us to know him more, to try to understand what he's doing and where he's going. And there's all kinds of ways the Bible will talk about this. I want to share with you today two of my favorite images that appear in the Bible by which the Spirit of God comes on the scene and by which people see him and identify him. These images are cloud and fire. Now I want to read a passage to you this morning and it's one of these strange passages of the Bible. For some reason, I'm always attracted to the strange passages of the Bible because I think sometimes in the things that we dismiss, God has so much just bursting out of the scenes that if if we just pause to look and read and, and seek to understand and know, I mean, fields of vision would open wide. And this comes from Exodus chapter 13. Let me set it up for you. God's people, known as the people of Israel, They find themselves in Egypt and they find themselves enslaved. Without any hope in the world of being able to free themselves from their plight by their own devices. God sees it. He hears their cries, he hears their prayers and it says he has compassion on them. And he comes down 
to do something about it. It's central to the nature of who God is. He's a God that sees, a God who hears, and a God whose heart is moved by the cries of people. And he's a God who comes down to do something about it. In this case, he comes down and through a man named Moses seeks to topple and overthrow Egypt, the superpower of its day, breaking its back and bringing his people to deliverance. He does it through all kinds of what are called signs and plagues. He does it through exercising his power visibly before people, those who believed in God, those who didn't. He showed up on the scene in the most visible kind of ways. And after 10 rounds of this, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, finally relents. He realizes he has no prayer of contending against God, and he tells the people to just get out, to go on their way. But now they find themselves as an enslaved people with the ability to be free but having no idea where to go. And God sees, and God hears, and God's moved to compassion in their time and place of confusion and uncertainty. And God comes down again. And this is where the story picks up. It says this, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and in a panic go back to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. It strikes me how often God leads us by a strange road that doesn't seem the best or most expedient. And he leads Israel by this road through the desert to the Red Sea. And the Israelites went up out of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath, he said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. Don't leave me here, not even in death, in other words. And after leaving, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. And it says, by day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them. And on their way at night, by a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. That is God guiding you. What do I do, God? Where do I go, God? What do I choose, God? Do you ever wish for a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to make it so abundantly clear that God was there and leading the way to go? I try to put myself in that kind of headspace. What is it like to witness the living God manifest himself 
in this glorious kind of way where this cloud just comes down and it leads the way. Where are we going? We're following the cloud, right? And then out of this cloud at night when it starts getting dark and you can't quite see it anymore, blazing fire and light shining the way and showing us the way to follow. God saw, God heard. God was moved to compassion. God came down and he manifest himself as cloud and fire. Now you'll see this imagery for the spirit of God a lot, not just here, but throughout the Bible as cloud and fire. And I think about that imagery a little bit, about the, the nature of cloud and fire, because certainly God is not cloud and fire. He is certainly something more than cloud and fire, but he takes on the nature of cloud and fire to be seen and tangibly experienced to guide his people. And I think there's something about cloud and fire that hints at the nature of what God is like. Cloud and fire, have you noticed, can't easily be controlled Fire seems to have a mind of its own. If I can talk this way, fire almost seems to be like a sentient being. It, 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 it moves, it consumes, it grows. And no matter how you try to harness it, and sometimes successfully do, it has a funny way of getting ahead of you a little bit and doing what it wants to do beyond the capacity for which you designed or intended. Are you with me? There's something in that, I think, about the nature of who God is. I think of a cloud. Who can control the clouds? They come, they do what they want, they're over us. And no matter what our best efforts might be, they just seem to have a mind of their own, beyond our control or capacity. I remember experiments that used to be done with people like trying to seed clouds to make it rain and, 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 and similar such things, things that have long since been retired because that thing is doing what it wants to do in the sky above me. There's something about the nature of the Spirit of God that will not be contained. That while it can be harnessed, while it can be controlled, while it can be entered into partnership with, it is going to do what it wants to do. It has an agenda of its own, which is often far bigger, that goes far beyond what we originally hope and intended. It makes God a little frightening, if you will. A God who does not allow himself to be contained, but does what he wants to do. And God saw, and God heard, and God was moved with compassion. And God came down in the nature of cloud and fire to guide the people through the wilderness. Now, what's interesting in the story is that God wanted to do more than just lead them and guide them. God wanted something more. You could read this in the pages of Exodus. God wanted something more. He wanted to also live with them. He wanted to be in their presence. 
How often do we think about finding God to be in his presence? But in Exodus, it goes the other way. God wanted to be in theirs. God wanted to come down and not just see and not just hear and not just be moved with compassion and not just come down in the midst to leave, but to come down and to use the biblical languages to dwell among them. And this is what God proposed. I love it. Check this out. You guys are coming out of the wilderness. You guys are coming into the wilderness. You're coming out of Egypt. You don't have a house. You're not going to build a permanent structure out there because we're on the move. We're going somewhere. You're sleeping in shelters, portable ones that you're setting up. You're, you're pitching tents. So, hey, do this. I kind of want to be like you. God tells the people of Israel, he tells Moses, build a tent for me too. I'm going to live how you live. I'm going to experience what you experience. I am going to be there in real time, tangibly among you. They called it the tabernacle. It ended up becoming this big fancy tent, but it was a tent. It was a tent that whenever the cloud would move, they could pitch the tent, they could pick it up and carry it with them. So God always had that place to be among them while they were on the mood. Now, now let me read this other passage to you. It comes out of Exodus chapter 40. After God has brought them out, and it says this, that after they'd finished this thing, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled upon it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, and the sight of all the house of Israel during all their travels. That our travels are on your agenda. God, it would seem that when I want to move, the cloud or the fire would move. When I'm kind of tired and just want to watch some TV, pitch a tent, and the cloud's going to hover there, and we're going to stay here until I think it's time to move on or to leave. And it says, in all their travels, right? The cloud hovered over this thing by day and the fire by night in the sight of all the house of Israel, pointing, guiding, and leading the way for 40 years. I try to imagine. I mean, what is it like to see the visible manifestation and presence of God? What is it like to see the Spirit actually on the scene in a tangible way for 40 years? Where the presence of God is so real, you could feel it, you can see it. It's so experienced in common by all that there's no denying it. To have that kind of connection that kind of guidance for 40 years. What does that do to a person? 
Now imagine this. Imagine you're a young Israelite. And it's generations later. The cloud is no longer hovering over the tent of meeting. The fire is no longer guiding you by day or night because the people had arrived. Imagine what it would be like, though, to be that young Israelite hearing the stories of your ancestors who went before you. Your moms and dads, your grandmas and grandpas, your great-grandmas and great-grandpas and so on. Hearing the story about how God was there on the scene in fire, in cloud, showing himself, dwelling among us in leading the way. But here you are, and you go to the tabernacle. And the tent is still there. But it's kind of mildewy, it's kind of moldy. It's been a couple hundred years, I mean, come on. There's still smoke. There's still fire. But the only smoke that you're seeing now is the smoke just rising off the sacrifices that the priests are offering every day. The only fire that you're seeing is the fire of those sacrifices burning what the people are bringing every day. Would you feel gypped? They got fire and cloud. We get fire in cloud, straight up, come on. Would you feel gypped? Have you ever had these moments where you're reading these stories of the Bible where God does these incredible things, God shows up on the scene, God just does that next level, you know? And you're like, man, if only I was there to see that. If only I could have been a part of that. Oh my gosh, right? And imagine you're there as that young Israelite hearing the story of the glory days when God's glory appeared in smoke and fire and cloud, guiding the people of Israel every step of the way. And all that I have is the daily routine of something as normal and natural as can be. Smoke and fire from a sacrifice offered by a priest. Whoopee. Imagine the disillusionment. The doubt. Maybe even the frustration of God not showing up like that for me. If you can kind of put yourself in that headspace or if you've ever wrestled with that, thought that, you know? You know, you're not alone. Actually, the story of the people of God throughout the Bible is expressing much of the exact same Thing. I tend to think that we who read the Bible today kind of think about it as like one condensed story of like one time and place, and we forget that it's a storyline spanning over a thousand years. You know, there was a time when 
God dwelt over a tabernacle among the people of Israel. And eventually it was built into a temple. And there came a time in their history when God's glory departed from it. And the people were scattered. And there was no longer a place where God dwelled in their midst. But there came a time later in the Bible, deep in the recesses of the Old Testament prophets, when God said, hey, I want to dwell among you again. Build me a tabernacle again. Build me a temple again. And if you come to the prophets like Haggai, like Zechariah, like Malachi, what you're getting is the story of God's people trying to create that place where God could dwell among them again. I want to share a final passage with you from Haggai chapter 2. And it says this, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to the leaders of Jerusalem, the high priest, the governor, and the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left? Who saw the temple of God in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, be strong, you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations, I will, uh, and the desires of the nations will come, and I will bring this house with glory. I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. Something about that that strikes me. You've heard the stories of what it had been, and you see what it looks like now, and it pales in comparison. Which of you remember what God has done in your life in some glory time? Which of you has experienced God in what can only be described as supernatural ways? Which of you reads the stories of the ancestors who have gone before us and the way that God had appeared and worked and delivered them. How does it look to you now? Does it seem to you like nothing? It did to them. But I love what God says and there's something here I don't want you to miss. Despite what you see, my spirit remains among you. So do not fear. My spirit remains among you. Do not fear. Listen, my spirit remains among you. No matter what it looks like, no matter what you see, no matter whether the cloud and fire are gone, and all that you have before you is mundane, ordinary, regular things. 
God invites us to trust that he's there even when we don't see him. In fact, the call to the people of Israel is based on this fundamental cry of God. Will you trust me? Will you trust me that when it's not apparent, I am still with you? Will you trust me that when you don't see my glory manifesting before your face, that I am still there? Will you trust me that even though I don't operate now as I did then, that I'm still active and here? Do you trust me that I remain among you? Will you fear? For 40 years, the people of Israel got to see fire and cloud. But for hundreds of years after that, all they had was smoke and barbecue. And God said, I'm here. I'm here in this. In this ordinary, regular, plain, everyday thing that to its own right has nothing special about it that could be concocted or manufactured by anyone, whether they love God or not. But will you trust me by what's happening here? I am working among you. It's this invitation to trust God when we don't see him, don't hear him, don't actively see him having compassion or delivering and coming down in our midst that the Bible asks us to make. To be able to take out of his word, to say, if this is how I work and this is where I am, trust that I'm here even if there's nothing that would seem flashy, amazing, or supernatural about it. This is so much of what a walk with God and life in his spirit is like. Trusting him just because he tells us to. And that's what every Israelite had to wrestle with. Will I trust Yahweh? Or what I'm seeing and perceiving and thinking around me? Will I trust Yahweh in a time like this? Will you? God is a God who still comes down into our midst. A God who says, my spirit will remain among you. Will you trust him in this? One final thing. I think of an ultimate way that God came down that people, even right before their eyes missed. The disciple John writes about Jesus, calling him the very word of God, the very agency of God bringing creation into this world, the Lord and master of all. And in his opening to his gospel, he says that this word of God, this this divine one became flesh 
and pitched his tent among us. And we've seen his glory. The glory of the one and only in our midst. You know, a lot of people didn't see glory in him. A lot of people don't see glory in him today. Now they see someone executed. Bloody and shamed on a cross, beaten, defeated, dismissed. My spirit will remain among you. Do not fear. I am a God who comes down in your midst. Will you trust me? Will you trust me that when you see before your eyes something different than you think the nature of God should be? That it's me in your midst. That right there is the heartbeat of what God is like and what a relationship with God consists of. Dare to trust him in this.